Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. I want to start by just telling you to, telling you something that that I do just because I, I believe I'm not the only one. If you do the same thing, let me know in the comments because I gotta know if if I'm if I'm weird. But it's also for the purposes of illustrating the text we're about to look at in just a second. When you're in the car and worship music is on and it's a song that you know really well, and you find yourself just kind of mouthing along with the words, not really engaging them with your heart. Do you ever catch yourself and stop? I I, I don't want the, the words of worship, and I, I don't want the word of God, especially if that's the lyrics being sung, to become something that's just sort of rote pablum to me. I, I, want it, I, I want to fully engage with my heart, and I don't ever want to just be puppeting words. I'm sure they're could be some benefit to having those words so internalized that they just they just flow and music has that effect, right? You remember every word you ever learned from uh, the School of Rock, don't you? Right? You know, long before long before uh, George made School of Rock and came to teach us about it at Florida State University College of Music, uh, the Holy Spirit inspired the Psalms, right? Songs that we sing and then hide the Word of God in our heart that we may not sin against Him. So I don't ever want it to just become words especially not if you're gathered with the people of God and worshiping shoulder to shoulder with everybody and you're mouthing the words, but you're not engaging the Holy Spirit in your heart. Watch out. Check this out. Isaiah 43, verse 22. Comes right on the heels, of course, yesterday's devotion about God and how He will make streams in the desert. I'm doing a new thing. It's springing up right now. Do you not perceive it? All of that comes with the slightly stinging rebuke of verse 22. But Jacob, meaning Israel, God's Old Testament people, you have not called on me because Israel, you have become weary of me. You've not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. Let, let's talk about this because at face value, it indicates that uh, they've just stopped making sacrifices. But another interpretation that's plausible is that they were going about the sacrificial system in rote fashion, as if they're not really engaging God with their heart. In fact, the reason that I bring that up is that that has been the case. Uh, like Amos rebuked People. Amos was a contemporary of Isaiah's, and he rebuked the, the people of Israel for that. And then Isaiah has said the same thing earlier in his prophetic ministry. So it, it's even possible that they are bringing sheep for burnt offerings, that, that they are making sacrifices. They're just not honoring God with their sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with incense. Okay, and again, this this could mean one or two things. Again, it could it seems to indicate at face value that like they're not they're not bringing incense, they're they're not making offerings at all. Uh, but I think what it also could mean is this: like asking you to to burn incense as an offering to me is not a burden to you. I'm I'm not I'm not giving you a prescribed worship ceremony that's that's burdensome. You have not bought me aromatic cane with silver or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. All right? See, this is this is why this is why I think that they were carrying out sacrifices, uh, but they're not honoring God with their sacrifices. Because God's 
God's not satisfied with the, the fat of these sacrifices. Now, in the book of Hebrews, which is a New Testament book written centuries after the book of Isaiah, he would reveal more and more and explain more and more and affirm more and more the fact that like, none of these Old Testament sacrifices actually atone for sin. It's, in fact, the author of Hebrews, whom I, I believe could be Apollos, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. All right, that each of these sacrifices, rather, was a picture of the ultimate sacrifice to come. And so knowing that, as New Testament believers, we look back on this and we see like God was not satisfied with the fat of their sacrifices, it means that the sacrifices were never going to do the work of the atonement themselves, but God was not satisfied with their sacrifices. This could indicate that they weren't bringing fattened calves, they were bringing the skinny, ugly little one. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Now, as a teaser to, uh, to tomorrow's devotion, he's going to say, I, I sweep away your transgressions. He chooses to remember them no more. That's coming in tomorrow's text, but right now I want to zoom in on, on this. Right? He has not burdened them with offerings or wearied them with incense, but they have burdened him with their sins. They have wearied him with their iniquities. See the parallel structure between verses 23 and 24? I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with incense, but you have burdened me with your sins and you have wearied me with your iniquities. So God has not given them something that is beyond what they could bear. And they have not come to him with true hearts. They have not, uh, they have, they have not satisfied God with their worship. You have not bought me aromatic, meaning it produces a beautiful aroma, uh, aroma cane with silver, or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. Whether they have just completely neglected the sacrificial system, like the first sentence, the first half of the sentence would suggest, or they have done so unsatisfactorily as the second half of the sentence could indicate, in either case, it does not matter. What matters is, man, these people have sinned and they have not made themselves right with God in the Old Testament fashion. You have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. You and I live in the New Testament. And so, you know, there, there is no incense. There are no fattened calves. Uh, we're not gonna burn any sheep. At, at the Redemption Church, for example. But what we do have in common with the Old Testament people of God is this, that we likewise will burden God with our sin, weary Him with our iniquities. Have you ever considered the effect that your sin has on your relationship with God? Have you ever noticed what happens? Like if you, if you do slip up, you give in temptation, you know, you fall back into your old ways. We, we all do from time to time, right? But you ever notice too that, man, it, it feels like when you try to pray to God, try to talk to God, it's like speaking to somebody whom you've offended. And it's really on our end, but we have this idea in our heads that like, oh man, God's mad at me. Maybe I shouldn't pray just yet. Maybe I, I should change the station from my Christian music to, to something else because that's evidently who I am. This has a wearisome effect on our relationship with God. It, it puts us out of touch with the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, as, as New Testament believers, uh, we have something that these original recipients did not have. We have the Spirit of God living directly within us. That's a tremendous, tremendous thing. And so by that Holy Spirit, we, we feel conviction for sin. 
that, that urge, that drawing to repent, right here within sinful vessels, as what Paul would call wretches, right? That we feel that drawing to repent and to confess, and when we sin, it wearies our relationship with God. It, it puts a burden on the relationship, and it's 100% on us. It's 100% us stepping away from God. God's not going anywhere. And so would you take a moment, especially as a New Testament believer, just as a, as a, as a word of caution, that because of the New Testament grace, we can forget this stuff. We can forget this stuff. You know, to say like, yeah, Jesse, our, God's omnipotent. You've been saying that for weeks. So what, what big of a deal is my sin? How, how does my sin affect him? Well, remember, he loves you, right? In our sermon on Isaiah 40, we see the magnificence of an omnipotent God and then the pivot of the text to his love for his people. God loves you. And so your sin has a burdening effect on God, a wearying effect on God. You don't detract from his holiness or his power one iota, but because he loves you and because when we sin, we betray God, it affects the relationship temporarily. And especially as New Testament believers, if we know this, if we're aware of this and we ignore this, we grow numb to this, then that's a dangerous place to be. Because we know in some ways better than the Old Testament believers that, man, we have this, we have this wearying and burdening effect on God with, with our sin, and we know right away. And we, it's easier for us than it was for them to make atonement. You don't have to go obtain a lamb to get right with God at Passover. You just right there while you're driving can confess sin, so do it. The time to repent is always now. Furthermore, in light of a text like this, speaking about the effect that sin has on our relationship with God, we know that the second coming of Christ is imminent. In the Old Testament, they had numerous prophetic signs. Even Eastern mystics were able to spot the prophecies in the book of Daniel coming true all around them. But for us, as New Testament believers, the second coming of Christ comes at a time that we don't know. That we don't know. We're not... We're not aware of it. And so as a result, we must always, ever, always, constantly repent. The time to repent is ever immediate. Always now. Let this text be used by the Holy Spirit to bring you face to face with the ugliness of your sin. Don't try to downplay it. Don't try to pass blame for it. Confess it all because it affects your relationship with the God who loves you take sin seriously, because God takes sin seriously. Don't let the grace that we experience as New Testament believers blind you to the wrath that God has always had against sin, even since the Old Testament. So right now, whether you sit, stand, lie, walk, drive, take the moment, take a time to confess sin before God, as New Testament believers, once again, we've got something else that they didn't have. They didn't yet have the book of 1 John, right? Whose first chapter and ninth verse says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that we'll see more of in tomorrow's devotion. I'll see you then.